Hello, and welcome back to Jokerman, a podcast about Bob Dylan. Perfect. That's a perfect tagline. Welcome back, Ian. Thank you, Evan. And I'm Evan. My name's Evan. Evan and Ian. Yes, we are the, the titular Jokerman. And it's interesting that we talk about our names, actually, for this episode, because names are the way that you describe who you are. And we are talking about an album called Self-Portrait. That's a good point. (laughs) Very insightful. Self-Portrait, the 1970 album by Bob Dylan. It was released... Are you ready for this? Well, I think I already mentioned this to you, Mm. Ian. But for the listeners, wouldn't you believe that that album was released just yesterday? 50 years ago. Half a century. It was the serendipitous uh, occasion of Self-Portrait's 50th birthday. And we are right there to lap up the juice from that joyous occasion. Absolutely. By, re- by recording this, this pod, this cast. We're probably the first ones to do the. You know, this is probably the first... 50th anniversary retrospective of self-portrait ever recovered and we're, we're breaking new ground here the 50th album <laughs> this is the uh 50th <laughs> anniversary yeah th- this is the crystal anniversary or the the diamond anniversary i think i don't know I think what fi- do you want to call it i think 50 is gold isn't it well that's very fitting actually because it is one of the songs on this record is co- about the gold rush about the gold days of 49 <laughs> it's about gold so uh on on that note, on that sparkling golden note, I guess we have to begin. And maybe it's worth uh starting with a little bit of context about what is this record to you and me? To me and you. Well, to me to you because you are first. Right, to I'm me. Asking you Ian. Uh, to and then me, and then and then on the other hand, back to me. Sure. Yes. You as in me, and then me as in you. I, I see what. I yeah. See, I see how that works. Look, call me by your name. Sure. Sort of thing. <laughs> right. Right. Good point. Um, you know, self-portrait. Um, I don't know. It, uh, it. This is this is a funny one and a fun one. I think you nailed it when you said, "I don't know." Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's a land of contrasts, to use a term that some people say. Uh, some some of the songs are, uh, you know, I, I I think some some of the songs are legitimately up there with some of the finest that uh, that Bob has ever recorded, um, both in terms of vocal stylings and the actual lyrics and the recording and stuff. And then others, you know, are uh, are are the sonic equivalent of the painting of the actual self-portrait that graces the cover <laughs> of self-portrait, which uh, for for those of you who aren't aware i'm sure if you're listening to this you are it looks like it could have been painted by you know a kindergartner uh on their first day of finger painting class uh bob is not necessarily the most talented uh painter i would say um although i don't know you're you're the painter uh, between the two of us what what's your artist's uh perspective of the actual self-portrait on the cover of self-portrait well, as as an aspiring painter, I I actually think it's one of his best paintings. On really, and 
I say that just because some of the other paintings that have been released as released that have dropped as Bob Dylan paintings uh, are literally copies of other pictures or paintings. And, and that's a whole other can of worms. This one seems to, yeah, it, it's kind of confusing to me that some of his artwork seems to be just ripoffs of other art. We'll get into that later, maybe. Well, but um, yeah, maybe we'll talk about that when we get to the cover records. I guess he covers paintings also. Well, this is almost a whole cover record, but it's yeah. It, this is the introduction of Bob Dylan, fine artist, and um, I love the cover of Self Portrait. Um, it was apparently done hastily in about five minutes, so he right. said um, in a in a quote. Um, but I think it really does uh, bear a likeness to him, and. Um, I do think that there is something to dive into about what it even means to call this record self-portrait, to right. have this picture, this this rudimentary, the sort of outsider art-looking self-portrait on the cover. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. Um, it, it's worth it's worth a little bit of exploration. I think is is what you're trying to say. Yeah, and um, I think. You know, last time uh, when we talked about Nashville Skyline, I I was sort of trying to bring up this feeling about Dylan being in a sort of crisis of identity. And mm-hmm. if that's the case, on Nashville Skyline, he kind of pulled that off a little right. bit more smoothly. Whereas here, it seems like this album is an almost uh, flippant, statement about not knowing what he's doing and and saying i don't really care that i don't know what i'm doing and i don't have to care fuck you right it is it is definitely a fuck you there's no question about that yeah i mean nashville skyline is a is a very uh cohesive sounding record it, it's it's conceived uh as a you know kind of uh unselfconscious country turn uh, and it all it all works very well um, from beginning to end, you know, it lasts less than thirty minutes. I think, like we talked about last time, but just uh, like self- good, good love making, just like well, you know, under under thirty minutes, under eh, you know, a tight twenty five. <laughs> the 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 length of a sitcom minus the commercials twenty twenty two minutes on the dot. Yeah, yeah. Self portrait though, like uh, it, it, this is anything but a tight twenty five. I, I I would say no. Uh, it is all all over the place and i do think it is interesting that it's called and i i the the fact that it's called self-portrait right i think there's something there's something interesting just by that very nature like this is this is really where the real bob dylan begins to emerge um you know nashville skyline and and john wesley harding are absolutely different kinds of albums than what what he was making before which is why we started talking uh, about bob with those two records Mm. but they are still kind of like you know, uh, in, in some regards, like tacked on to the quote unquote golden age of Bob, uh, you know, connected to the early mid 60s shit that he's in the, uh, you know, the the rock and roll hall of fame for. Well, there, there's still but, this idea that, OK, well, he knows exactly what he's doing. The next right. one is going to be we're going to have to we're going to have to really think about whatever it is. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and this is where that the that assumption or that like default kind of attitude towards Dylan releases 
goes out the window because I can't put myself in the mindset of the 1970 listener necessarily. But when I drop the needle on this and I hear all the tired horses yeah. starting things off, I, I, I can only imagine how confused I must have been, if not out, outright apoplectic. An interesting thing to wrestle with or to, to think about. When you talk about the real Bob Dylan emerging right. with this record, as you know, dear listener, we don't talk about the early records on this podcast. I think a reason why it's impossible to really talk about those in some sense, it's in a different class. And that's not lost on Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan knows that those records are something else, something kind of untouchable. Mm. He says basically, this was an interview in the early 2000s, that he forgot how to do this. He forgot how he was doing (laughs) those songs. He didn't know how he did It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, or Visions of Joanna, or Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands. And I think everybody can relate to feeling so inspired at some moment, like taking acid, feeling like everything's coming together and you you've figured it out. That doesn't last forever. And the rare person who actually puts that into words and it's great art. What happens afterwards after that? Right. Yeah. This is this is the beginning of the come down, I guess, if we're going to extend that analogy, which makes it, I think, more interesting than the the actual trip, so to speak, uh, because this is where shit starts to go. Uh, you know, you lose control. Things things aren't going according to plan anymore. This is kind of a moment where he is dealing with the consequences of being that brilliant. Another artist might have done Nashville skyline, done done a sort of commercial country, easy country record. And then just done another one of those. And in some ways, that's what this is, what self-portrait is. But it it's done in such a way that nobody could ignore how tossed off it is as a gesture. Yeah, there are there. I mean, there are parts of the record that are a direct extension of what was going on with self-portrait um, or excuse me, with Nashville Skyline. But then there's also like three other records that are crammed in here at the same time. Um, and it's all kind of haphazardly arranged, um, you know, as all great double albums are, I think. There's there's tons and tons of just chuff or chaff, basically, stuff that you can dis- disregard if you're a record label guy. But uh, Bob, you know, the, the man, the, the legend that he is, uh, wasn't going to allow that to happen. And so that's why we end up with two versions of Alberta, for instance. Or and two versions of uh, Searching for Little Sadie. Right, exactly. Uh, or There's a literal quote here from Bob Dylan. He says, I mean, if you're going to put a lot of crap on it, you might as well load it up regarding this record. He's got a good point. You know, that that's kind of the defining the defining ethos of America over the last however many years. If you're going to if you're going to give him crap, you at least give him a lot of it. Supersize. Yeah. Supersize me, baby. This is the supersize me, Dylan. Uh, album. This is sort of him saying, uh, "I just want a lot. Just give me a lot." It's it's exactly. It's the Big Mac supersize meal. The the previous records, you know that the, those are your filet mignons and your 
your crab louis and your uh, Earth Cafe kale salads, the, the, the heights of fine dining. The kidneys with bacon at Musso and Frank's. At Musso's, right, exactly. Yeah, I remember when you got those. Um, I get them every time I go. <laughs> but this is uh, this is this is the very opposite. This is just you know you you hogs want to slop at at the trough, <laughs> so here's yeah. a, here's a whole trough full of slop. Yeah, this is the trough slop bucket of Dylan. We begin this record with uh, all the tired horses, which I feel kind of wrong going from calling it a trough slop into talking about this song because I agree. I think this song honestly more than anything else on this record shows serious effort and thought uh even if it's in a strange direction this is a beautiful gem that's very highly polished and that's how you start this thing right a song that does not feature bob dylan exactly it's almost as if, like, you know, we talked about on Nashville Skyline, the beginning of that record, he's deliberately trying to fuck with the listener and be like, all right, you're expecting a Bob Dylan record. Well, here's a song with Johnny Cash singing half of it. And then if we're, if we're, uh, if that wasn't enough for you, now here's a song where I don't even sing on it. So now, starting off self-portrait, how can, how can he raise the stakes even further and fuck with people, you know, to the next level? Here's well, the a song. answer is uh, that it's a song that is not an instrumental, but... He also doesn't sing on it. Correct. Exactly. He's got a sort of a, a angelic sounding kind of choir of um, uh, female voices. Uh, two women. Almost, three it's women? Kind of, is, it, is it two? Is it three? I don't know. You're the one with the fancy uh, recording sessions book. All right. Um, let's crack open this tome. It almost has a sort of like hymn-like kind of feel to it you know there, it, it, it's it's very zen sounding to me like mm-hmm. um you know it, it feels like a mantra that you can just repeat um you know again and again and again as the sun fades off in the west casting longer and longer shadows um Beautiful. it's uh, this uh, interesting fusion of country western and eastern philosophies if you will yeah i i think that it's it is a beautiful song for those reasons that sort of spaced out post psychedelic vibe to it it would sit comfortably on a playlist with like some animal collective right yeah like sung tongs animal collective or something yeah yeah also it's just uh by any standard a strange way to begin an album yeah i mean it it really is just uh, uh quite a scene setter i think for what what's about to come the the strings that come in in the middle of the song also i think are, are fantastic like that's that's oh, the yeah. last possible thing that you would think of when you're thinking about bob dylan it, certainly it, in 1970 without seeing you know everything else that was to follow uh, it's almost got like a cinematic kind of quality to it you know especially coming on the heels of John Wesley Harding and, and Nashville mm-hmm. Skyline, which were intimate, uh, stripped-down kinds of affairs. Um, this is the first song you hear, and, and it almost seems like you're, you're, you're sitting down to strap in for a, a Cinerama widescreen motion picture or something. It, it does have that widescreen effect, and um, it's very fun to look at the lyrics on BobDylan.com for this yeah, song. It's, a, it's, pretty, good, it's it, a pretty good page. <laughs> it's a great page. It just says... All the tired horses in the sun. How am I supposed to get any riding done? Hmm. Written by Bob Dylan. Copyright 1970 Big Sky Music. Another one with the big goose egg on Times Play. This album is full of goose eggs. We 
We almost have <laughs> a like complete album that has never been played live with this record. He should do one of those, um, you know, those cheesy fucking like, you know, play the whole album in sequence concert tours or something that all the uh, legacy acts are doing these days. But only just only do a self-portrait tour from beginning to end, all 20 fucking three, 24 songs. I, that like doesn't seem crazy to me. Like that could still happen. I would love it. The ace up his sleeve, the self-portrait tour. <laughs> he knows. Right. He knows how much money it would make. Um but and if you were curious, the uh, small choir of voices, female voices, women, uh, in this song include Hilda Harris, Albertine Robinson, and this is a tough one, Maritha Stewart. That name is spelled M-A-E-R-E-T-H-A. Maritha. Maritha. I see... I see that in the credits on the liner notes, which appears to just be mostly a big, long list of presumably every person who appears on the record. Yeah. This is an unusual uh, liner notes. And and the gatefold of this record features a lot of nice pastoral images of of Bob on the farm. Uh, He was living in Woodstock, New York at the time, raising a family. And... um, he had, you know, children with, uh, you know, he had children with uh, yes. Sarah Dillon, um, four children. Is that right? Four? I honestly don't know. It's a good, I, I, I'm Groucho, aware of Jacob Harpo, and um, Chico. Zeppo and Zeppo. Jacob. Yeah, and Jacob <laughs> with a K. Right. And so he was raising these kids. And um, meanwhile, the, uh, the, bubbling brew of hippiedom was sort of infiltrating on Woodstock, New York for the famous Woodstock uh, that you might have heard of. And um, apparently Bob Dylan really fucking hated this as, as a man simply trying to raise kids to have hippies crowd him and try to infiltrate his land and his home. It wasn't something he liked, believe it or not. Yeah seems like the last thing in the world that that old old bob would have been interested in in 19 well i guess woodstock was 69 right right and and this this record was recorded some of it in 1969 after nashville skyline right and then the rest of it was recorded 11 months later in 1970 oh i didn't realize that it was a huge gap and it's something you can actually hear on this record is when he's still doing the Nashville skyline Kermit croon yeah the voice right I don't mean to be disparaging when I mention Kermit the frog it just it comes to mind Kermit is one of America's foremost cultural icons there's nothing disparaging about it and a balladeer in his own right right exactly the rainbow connection anyway in 1970 you hear on these other cuts a return to that more familiar Bob Dylan sound that that we love. The the noted, famous, infamous Bob Dylan sound. The BDS. That's what that stands for. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what that sounds for. Yeah. For some for some reason, all the people in Israel are are extremely anti the Bob Dylan sound. I no, can't quite no, they're they're very Nashville skyline type. 
type people, the Israelis, right. they prefer when he changes it up. They don't like that classic BDS. The classic BDS, yeah. They're, they're anti-BDS. Some people even claim that it's anti-Semitic, which I don't understand because Bob himself is a Jew. Although I guess, you know, when he converts to evangelicism, then, you know, then, then he starts going off the map. Do you think Bob's ever been to Israel? Some of the shots, the promo shots for Joker Man um, and for Infidels were actually shot in Jerusalem. Really? And are in and around uh, Israel. Yeah, so he's absolutely been there. And um, Joker Man is the song that this podcast is uh, named after because it's one of the greatest songs ever written. And um, I think with that, we can we can move on along because we have a lot of ground to cover with this, this double album. That sounds okay to me. I just, uh, I guess before we do, I just Googled Bob Dylan Israel and I'm seeing pictures of Bob Dylan Akipa at, uh, apparently the West at, at the Western wall, the wailing wall. I'm going to throw out all the, the, al- walls, all the alternate Jewish terms. You say Koopa, I say Yamaka. You say Western Wall, I say Wailing Wall. Is one more valid than the other? I just think Wailing Wall sounds a little cooler, and Yamaka sounds, frankly, a little bit better than Kipa. But I say, you yeah. know, I've said both. I'm Jewish. I, yeah, I, I, I can't speak as, as one of the chosen people, so I'm just trying to uh, fit into your culture as best I See, can. See, I choose you, though, Ian, so. I appreciate there that. There we go. How's that? I like I like to think of myself as the Jewish uh, Rachel Dolezal. Um, is Rachel Dolezal Jewish? Well, no, but she is. She's elected to claim uh, African American identity for herself. Yeah, yeah, so but I, are you I, sure I like that she's not elect. Jewish too? Uh, you know, she might actually be. Uh, that's a good Dolezal. question. Yeah, I don't know. Is that a Jewish kind of name? She she looks a little Jewish to me. And she well to me she kind of just looks like Janice Soprano. <laughs> she does she does have a Janice Soprano vibe, absolutely. Uh anyway, the next song on the famous album of Self Portrait is Alberta number 1. Alberta number 1, the first version of Alberta on this record. The f- the first of two, exactly. Yeah. Probably the the version of Alberta I prefer, I, I would have to say. Oh, you're an Alberta 1? I'm an Alberta 1 guy, but that might have something to do with the fact that by the time when you get to Alberta 2, uh, it's been 24 songs, and, and you are kind of ready for the self-portrait experience to conclude. <laughs> um, yeah, you're ready for Al- <laughs> Alberta none. You're ready for... Yeah. You're ready for Bob Dylan to make a new record. <laughs> right, yeah, I, I, I don't need to hear... Uh, about Alberta and her hair once again at at that point, but um, I don't know. Do you do you prefer Alberta too? I frankly, uh, no. I like Alberta one more. I think, but all right, you heard it here, folks. Uh, God, this is, I don't a, this is a firmly Alberta one podcast. I don't want to commit to that. I'm going to say that I actually like Alberta two, just so that we can have a sort of uh, balance of Alberta. Uh, homeostasis on this episode because after all all, there are two versions and they both come from the maestro (laughs) um that's true 
Alberta, this song is just regular. It's sort of a song about a woman that he, that the narrator wants, but he also wants her not to cut her hair. And that's the central conflict of the song Alberta is that he wants to uh, love this woman and yet he would prefer her not cut her hair. That's basically what's going on here um, with, with noted uh, impressive lyrics such as my heart is so sad because I want you so bad. <laughs> right. That's that's why Bob Dylan is, is known as America's foremost poet. Well, you could say that sad and bad who can deny the way that that rhymes and the answer it, is it sure does. nobody can say that it does not rhyme and um, sometimes as a poet you have to just remind people that you're you're driving the car you're the one holding the the keys and you will rhyme the smallest rhyme or the biggest rhyme Whichever, yeah, you'll you'll rhyme whichever word, first word you want with whatever other word you want, and sometimes those are bad and sad. Yeah. Interestingly, though, this is this is the first appearance of gold on the record, uh, which will go on to have a much more central role a couple songs later. I, I wonder if he was going through kind of a prospector kind of phase during the uh, during the recording and, and writing of this record. It seems that he was going through a lot of phases throughout this entire record. I, I don't think that this is a record of one phase. As we talked right. about, this, this album started its recording process in the year 1969 and ended up in 1970. In a way, it's a challenge to the listener saying, well, why do you even care that it's the 60s or the 70s yeah uh, i i think that's a good point actually like this 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 is the first record that really requires a lot of um you know you said it's a challenge to the listener this is the first dylan record in his catalog sequentially at least uh that requires a lot of effort i think on the part of of the listener to to defend it yeah he's he's making you work for it should we move along to i forgot more and then you'll ever know. Yeah. So this is the first cover of the record. Yeah, it is. It is a cover, cover not centric record necessarily, but cover heavy record. It's certainly more so than is anything that he recorded up until this point. Honestly, I think it is a cover centric record. Ultimately, you think? Well, there's probably more covers on it than anything else. I guess we should we should keep a count as we go through, and and then we can determine mathematically by the end of it, whether or not it is or is not a cover-centric record. Yeah, using, well, for any anybody who's listening in the UK, when we say mathematically, we're talking about maths, which is how you in the yes. in the United Kingdom will, would reference the use of numbers. So we're, so we're up to two originals and one cover through three songs. Yeah, this is a sort of a podcast that's also about statistics and uh, science on even yeah this you know we're, we're giving you something for everyone with i forgot more than you'll ever know track three on self-portrait album um i really love that lyric i i think that when i hear this song i think okay dylan just really caught onto that that line and thought rightfully uh this is a great line um i forgot more than you'll ever know about her He's talking to a uh, 
someone who's been with the lady he used to be, he used to go with, possibly, yes. you know, implied used to go steady with, and uh, who's who broke his heart, and he's saying a line which, if you don't think about it too much, just accept it on its own ground, is really um, kind of a cool diss in a way. Is the th- I've <laughs> forgotten more than you'll ever even know about uh, this woman. About this woman, yeah. Clearly, he uh, doesn't think very much of her. Her new suitor. It's a very simple kind of song. I think. I think as as we see with most of the covers, he he tends to pick simpler kind of um, more traditional sounding songs which i guess gives gives you a, a pretty straight through line to the you know more recent cover records that confounded so many people upon their release you know clearly he's been doing this kind of thing for 50 years right at this point this song uh, actually reminds me a lot of i could have told you a song that he covered on one of those recent cover records triplicate was that appeared e- either that or fallen angels it's not on shadows in the night right um but I could have told you a great uh, classic crooner ballad. It's funny, knowing what we know now, that Bob Dylan would go on to do three records consecutively of that type of material, that this album is the beginning of that impulse, the, the, inter- the purely interpretive aspect of his talents. Which I think at the same time makes it all the more interesting that this is, this is the record that's called Self-Portrait, right? And it contains the least amount at least up until this point of original bob dylan recording yeah it's it's yeah. saying that this is where i came from like these are the things that inspire me um not being shy about other people having come up with great lyrics in the past that he's you know kind of humbling himself for the first time to interpret these as opposed to just right. being like well i'm clearly a genius i'm gonna come up with a new way to talk about love and loss Interestingly, I Forgot More Than You'll Ever Know has been played 54 times in his catalog. First played February 1986, last played August 1986. I wonder if there was something that was going on in 1986 between February and August that was making this song particularly resonant to him to be playing those 54 times because apparently by the time he reaches August 7th, 1986... This song has been discarded permanently from the live discography. Permanently, it would seem, but you know, it could come back any any day now, if uh, somebody else hurts Bob, and we will protect Bob with everything we can do. You know, you better not absolutely. You better not make him play this song again. If he plays this song again, I know somebody harmed Bob. You're in trouble. You're in big trouble, and you are against the creed of this um, podcast. (laughs) Next song, I think we can move on. I think so. Days of 49. Okay, so we have zero times played, according to BobDylan.com. He's never played this song. Uh... I can't say I can't say that that's the wrong decision. I, I I must say this this is the first one on the record that when I get to I'm like you know I I don't know that I need to hear this uh, for you how you don't long like it lasts. Days of Forty Nine. This is a long. I'm not a big fan. I gotta say this is a long song. It's like five and a half minutes, <laughs> and there's virtually nothing to it. You know I 
in the days of old, in the days of gold. Well, I, I, you say there's nothing to it, but I, I actually think there is something to it, which is oh? gold. And uh, that's a theme that pops oh. up, and especially on this on this album. I, I, I think that uh, the Days of 49 is nice. It reminds me of like being a little kid and going to the Gene Autry Museum and uh, seeing the cowboys and, and talking about cowboys and Gold Rush stuff. When you were growing up, Ian, did your public school have a Gold Rush uh, segment of your education? Yeah, we did have the Gold Rush segment in, I guess, what was that, fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that, towards the end of elementary school. That's right. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you end up, you do, like, trivia or something, and then you end up mining for gold in the playground. That's right. And, yeah, yeah I, I, I went through the same very thing. When you grow up in Southern California in the 1990s, and the early 2000s, you learn about the gold rush. And maybe that's why this song is a little bit um, more palatable to me is because, in a sense, I actually experienced the gold rush uh, through that way. And so I don't mind hearing Mr. Dylan wax poetic about the days of 49. That's just me. Most people find it probably pretty boring. Yeah, I, I you know I can't say that I'm getting a whole lot out of this one, especially considering the the sonics of the song. Uh, this this seems to me like one of the ones you might know better with your uh, with your tome over there, uh, but this definitely sounds like one of the ones that would have been recorded later after he had kind of segued out of the Nashville skyline, uh, groovy echo croon vibe, which as I've mentioned, I'm I'm quite a fan of. Uh, this is this is very much more of a classic bds sound um mm. and you know it, it just doesn't do as much for me on that on that side of things and then you know lyrically you know the days of 49 we we get it people were mining gold bob yeah so i i from what i can gather from my my little book booklet here is that uh days of 49 had an initial recording and then some overdubs um instrumental overdubs at Columbia Recording Studios, Nashville, Tennessee. March 11th, 1970, they did uh, Days of 49. And then also um, Days of 49 was done during uh, 1969. So so it was recorded twice. It's one recording, but it features an original recording and then overdubs that were done almost a year later, if I'm reading this correctly. Interesting. Um, Anyway, we can move on. It's about the gold rush. Whatever. Yeah, days of 49. You get it. There's a football team named after it. Now we've got the uh, early morning rain. Right. Which is another, another, yet another cover. So we haven't even had an original track since Alberta. And actually, I, the, on, on that note, I've, I've at the same time looked up the track listing on Wikipedia, which... Contra BobDylan.com claims that Alberta is written as a traditional song. It's not actually a Bob Dylan original. So this is something that we actually have to probably mention is that kind of uh, egregiously on this record, the uh, liner notes don't specify with any particular accuracy when a song was an original or when it was a traditional song that was basically in the public domain or written by another artist. Uh, 
for a lot of the traditional numbers, it just says Bob Dylan is is the one who's credited, even though he's all he's done is arranged it. Yeah, written written by Bob Dylan, according to BobDylan.com, but uh, Lead Belly has recorded at least four different versions of Alberta, apparently dating back to 1940 or 1935 yeah. even. Okay, so we can we can take two things from this. We can say Bob Dylan, the liar, or we can say Bob Dylan, the um, concept, the conceptual artist, because... This record, I, I'm, I'm kind of more inclined to lean that way, that he was being a lazy conceptual artist. And uh, you know what they say about conceptual art, Ian? Uh, what do they say, Evan? They say it doesn't matter if it's lazy, it's still conceptual. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a pretty good saying. And uh, I think that's what we're dealing with here. It doesn't matter how mad it makes you. It's still a concept, and uh, the concept is the portrait of oneself. Fair enough. That's how we, in this house, on this podcast, we talk about how it's a brilliant <laughs> conceptual album. <laughs> Early Morning Rain. Sounds like a Grateful Dead song. Like, the title sounds like a Grateful Dead type of song title. Yeah. It uh, apparently written by it's a Gordon Lightfoot song. I see. Okay. According according to BobDylan.com, at least. So even they admitted it. They said you caught me red-handed. I didn't yeah, I guess this. I guess Bob can steal from uh, you know the the traditional uh, domain of blues songs, but when it comes to Gordon Lightfoot, he's gotta he's gotta give credit where it's due. When people say great artists steal. Have you heard that phrase? I, I have heard that phrase. I went to college, so I, I have heard that yeah. phrase. Here, here's my take on that phrase. It's one of the dumbest phrases I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> just because I don't know what it means and I don't know what it's trying to mean. But what do you think it means? Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, you know, it, it, I think it's... it's I, I think there's... Not really a whole lot there to interrogate, to be honest. I think it, it sounds snappier and more insightful than uh, than people who say it might want it to sound. Uh, not that the original uh, speaker of that quote um, intended Gordon it to Lightfoot. be some sort of... <laughs> right, Gordon Lightfoot, exactly. Intended it to be some sort of deep, insightful claim. Uh, but uh, it, it, it sounds like a dumb guy's idea of what a smart guy would say, you know? yeah. Yeah, which is perfect for college. Exactly. That's all college is. Um, what do you have to say about this this song, though? Um, on its on its own, just we're talking about the song, Early right. Morning Rain. Right. I mean, you know, uh, again, I, I think here's is where we're we're continuing with some of the 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 less fertile periods of self-portrait i guess i would say you know it, it, it's an it's an up and down kind of record which makes it exciting to listen to because as soon as you as soon as you get into this kind of stretch of the album where things are slowing down and you're not quite as fond of what's going on you know you've got you've got something else exciting to look forward to just around the corner that's that's the the strength of the double lp that's such a mess like this uh, the same thing that you get on you know the white album for instance 
Um, but you know, the early morning rain itself, I'm you know, we're coming out of days of 49. I'm I'm ready to kind of get along to side two by the time this strikes, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Although the title "Early Morning Rain" is something that's sort of nice to think about. It's like down on the cove. It's just sort of a nice image. It is and, a nice. Uh, it is a nice idea. I agree with you. It's a good idea, early morning rain. Um, but I don't know. Just listen to it. It's fine. Not one of the most essential on the record, I would say. Which makes sense. Gordon Lightfoot, you know, he's a, he's a he's fine, but he's he's no he's no Dylan. Yeah, he's no. The next song is. <laughs> In Search of Little Sadie. That's number six. And so you have six and Sadie. And that's another thing that you can kind of uh, mark in your calendar. Right, on the Illuminati uh, the Illuminati notebook. This song, I, I actually like it, even though it's kind of... It's a little silly, uh, maybe. Um, it happens twice. We should point that out. In Search of Little Sadie is written by Bob Dylan. Is that true? Like, I don't know what to believe anymore. Well, I'm, I'm, I've now been forced to cross-reference BobDylan.com with Wikipedia.com, which once again says In Search of Little Sadie is a traditional song. Bob, what were you, what were you up to here? That's, my, that's me coming out against uh, Bob Dylan. I'm going to say, Bob, what exactly was going on with you saying you wrote certain songs? What is he up to? On the other hand, you know, every time I do the political compass uh, test, I end up on the libertarian left. Right. So I guess that's that's what this is. It's me saying, live and let live, Bob. You can do whatever you want. Um, In Search of Little Sadie is about a man who kills uh, a girl, a woman who he is involved with and immediately uh, goes to jail and regrets it. Yeah, it's 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 about the world's worst criminal. Yeah, it's, <laughs> truly, it's about a criminal who says, uh, "Went I went out last night to take a little round." You know what everyone does? You take a little round, and then you you meet little Sadie and you shoot her with a gun. Yeah, she is, she is blowed down uh, to use the parlance of the song. Blowed her down, except on on the website. Bob Dylan a comment says, and I brought her down. That's uh, different. And I brought her down. That's what it says on BobDylan.com. Oh, yeah, at the top. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure in the record he says, blowed her down. Well, I guess maybe he says brought her down at the beginning and then blowed her down later. I, I, I don't think he was particularly uh, uh, careful about the, the lyrics uh, to this song. Which is just another knife in the chest of anybody who was really invested in Bob Dylan's lyricism at this point. It's like when you see a concert and your favorite song, the artist kind of fucks up a lyric. And you feel like, but I knew what it was. (laughs) That's how a lot of people were feeling. That's a good point. Uh, But yeah, Little Sadie, I mean, you know, it's... uh it, it's it's another one of these kind of morality tales. I think this is like an original. Th- this kind of strikes me as the sort of thing that he was attempting with some of these songs, some of those songs on John Wesley Harding, right? Like uh, 
you know, uh, the drifters escape, uh, for example. These a kinds picaresque. Of like, a picaresque, yes. Yeah, the, these sorts of uh, timeless um, uh, archetype tales from the rich American tapestry. Um, this obviously has got a different kind of uh, uh, vibe to it, considering uh, Lee is, is not uh, Lee being... Uh, the character of Little Sadie, we should say, mm. uh, not not the world's uh, most creative murderer. Considering he says, um, you know, uh, I oh yes, sir, my name is Lee. I murdered Little Sadie in the first degree, first, first degree, degree and second, second degree. degree. If you've got any papers, will you serve them to me? I mean, this is a song about suicide by cop, but also you are killing a young woman, presumably, uh, to get there. Um, not a very honorable man. Uh, if you're going to do suicide by cop, you got to make sure that you're the only one who gets blowed down in the parlance of this song. That's a good point. Yeah. What is, what has little Sadie done? You know? Yeah, no, I mean, it, we, we don't know anything about little Sadie except that, uh, she was murdered by this this little twerp who just says, I, I, I did it. Yes, please put me in jail. So maybe in the spirit of justice, we move on from this song. We don't talk about the abuser who is the narrator. Yes. Yeah. In, in honor of uh, the, the protests against police brutality and little Sadie herself, we will avoid discussing it any further. Yeah, that's that's all happening right now. And I mean, if you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, why is somebody recording this when when the world is in such turmoil when America is at, at its knees and people are suffering in, in the streets and um, huge change is happening? And the answer is, um, I think it's in the spirit of this record, which came out in 1969, 1970 of. Ignoring everything that's happening around you, and putting out <laughs> something stupid. <laughs> that's 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 actually a hundred percent correct. I couldn't have said it any better myself. On that note, we we can hit uh, side two of this uh, four-sided record. And and uh, if in, in case you weren't aware, uh, I know we've we've previously uh, adopted the conceit of one one podcast per side. But because right. this record is a double record, and some of it is worth less discussion than. Other parts of it, uh, you know, we're, we're going to do one podcast per record itself. So both sides, you get both sides here in this first one. You'll get the second yeah. or the second uh, disc, sides three and four in the next one. This is a half price record. Honestly, it should have been sold half price. It's Apparently, true. when when this album was coming out, um, a print ad for this album featured the cover of the rudimentary art brute style portrait of Dylan's face. And then it said, in seven days, this album will be in a million homes in America or something basically like that. That's true. It did sell well because at this point it was a huge event whenever whenever a major rock star released a record, of course, including Dylan. Maybe he was at the top of that list. But um, then you had a million people who were kind of upset most of them. Yeah. I guess we should mention the famous Rolling Stone review of this album, which begins with, we'll say at the same time, one, two, I actually, three. Do you know what he says? I actually don't have it, no. 
Oh, uh, well, the, the review in Rolling Stone was it said, "What is this shit?" It's oh. the first, the first <laughs> yes words about the album. That's right. I remember that now. And uh, funny enough, that man um, who wrote "What is this shit?" Uh, disparaging and slagging off this record. He went on to do the commentary for the bootleg series for this another self-portrait, which came out a couple years ago. Yeah, five, six years ago, something like that. And um, he seems a little bit repentant about his dismissal initially. That's that's usually how these things go. And in hindsight, uh, you know, you end up uh, coming to appreciate what you had, even if you didn't appreciate it at the time. Right. Right. You threw it all away. (laughs) <laughs> well well said i think i've heard that somewhere before i forget the name of that guy who who wrote that but you know what maybe we don't need to mention his name he said what is this shit about this album uh that's rude and um do better you know yeah you're you're, you're canceled whoever you are even if he wrote something later years later even if he was really seriously repentant and he uh suffered you know, some sort of prom- problems in his career. Um, I hope that he fucking dies. Yeah. yeah. There's no, there's <laughs> no coming back from that. There, you know, he should, he should be put s- straight in jail uh, or I- I- if not guillotined on the spot. Yeah. I don't believe in um, Sharia law except for when people say anything negative about Bob Dylan. <laughs> Next song we have on this album is called Let It Be Me. Let me me and here's here's where we go you know we're, we're starting to go back up this is this is one of my favorites on this record um yet another cover so if we're if we're keeping track at home uh we're up to seven uh songs on the album six of which have been covers and the only one that hasn't is all the tired horses which was not sung by bob um but definitely one of the prettiest uh you know kind of grooviest songs on this record as far as i'm wait, concerned wait wait stop didn't he write one of those? <laughs> Didn't he write one of two through two through six? Well, not a, covers. Not according to Wikipedia. This is this is also this is not only a Bob Dylan appreciation podcast. This is a Bob Dylan fact check podcast, uh, similar to the Washington Post's fact checked uh, 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 editorial uh, position. Do they have that? Yeah, Glenn uh, Glenn Kessler. Uh, who awards uh, politicians' claims? Uh, uh, the Pinocchios. P- Pinocchios, exactly. So, Bob, I'm gonna have to give you at least two Pinocchios for well, the it seems credits. He, if if we want to take a brief um, flight of fancy here, uh, the image on the front cover features Bob with a very prominent um, nose in this painting, and so perhaps, perhaps he was sort of awarding himself a Pinocchio or two. Interesting. I th- by, I thought by, in, by giving himself a big schnoz. I thought it was some sort of like internalized anti-Semitism or something. I don't think that we're gonna gonna get into that really on this on this song or on this record because <laughs> I don't think there's much about Judaism, unfortunately. Um, we'll have we'll have plenty to discuss on the religious aspect of things by the time we hit 1979. Yeah, yep. And uh, in the meantime, we just got "Let It Be Me," which. Here's a cover written by M. Curtis P. DeLone and G. Code. 
Yeah, these are, these appear to be f- they they appear to be French people. I'm looking at the full names on Wikipedia, and it's uh, Gilbert uh, Bicoud, Man Curtis, and Pierre <laughs> Javert, Delano. Yeah, it was written it was written by a uh, Javert and Valjean, and um, all the ca- <laughs> all the characters from um, all, all your favorites from Les Misérables. This song, it, this is a song that's been covered by other people, right? It it definitely has the feel of a song that has I been. I feel like um, it has, but yeah. maybe not. Oh, no, it's uh, interesting. Yeah, so uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now. A uh, popular song originally published in French in 1955, so I'm, 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 I'm right about that. Oh. Um, but uh, originally sung in English by the Everly Brothers. That's interesting. It's sort of like a Seasons in the Sun. Which you know, like that that song. Uh, are you familiar with Seasons in the Sun? Mm, I don't know that. Uh, not off the top of my head necessarily. Seasons of the Sun, uh, a song from the seventies, made popular by Terry Jacks, but it's actually um, a cover or an adaptation of the Jacques Brel song uh, "Le Moribond." Is that a good accent? That's, pre- that's pretty good. It goes it goes well with your striped uh, T-shirt that you're wearing right now. See, Ian and I are speaking and actually communicating through the internet with um, something called Zoom, and so you can see what I'm wearing. Yeah, you're looking very uh, Parisian. And in a way, I am French because I am talking about <laughs> Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah, you're uh, you're miserable and perverted, just like all the other French. Yeah, what is there to say about this song? You've got a, a sort of pretty love song about wanting it to be you. You know what that means already. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely got like a very saccharine kind of vibe, which makes sense if it's written by what appears to be like the French version of Tin Pan Alley kind of people. Um, Tin Pan Alley. <laughs> Teen, teen pan, we, oui. teen pan, <laughs> yeah. Okay, please go but, on. But um, I think that you know that suits that suits kind of his approach here, which, like I said, it, he he's got that that saccharine uh, honeysuckle kind of Nashville skyline voice going on, and he's also got the the what sounded to me like the women from all the tired horses backing him up as well. It, it's a very you know here's here's where that cinematic quality from the first song on the record that has been completely obliterated by everything that follows. Here's where it comes mm-hmm. back. And um, I don't know, you know, I, I've always been kind of a sucker for these, like, very clearly, like, manufactured, uh, big kind of uh, studio productions, whether it's a, a motion picture uh, or a record or something like that. Um, you know, I, I even, even if at the time I might have hated it because it's, you know, fucking just... Uh, pap uh, product meant to sell to people. Um, in hindsight, it, it takes on some degree of legitimacy, um, and I think this is this is a great example of something like that. You know, it's written by some dumbass French guys, um, and you've got uh, you've got this 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 overdone, very overblown kind of sound to it on the record. But it's there's there's something just really really warm and fuzzy about it for me. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that. All of the stuff that was recorded in 69 and was recorded for Nashville Skyline. This was recorded in 69. This is 69? Yeah, so this is you know, right after Nashville Skyline, effectively. I joked on the last episode about the last record that it was a sort of a, a norm core 
a gesture mm. of Bob to uh, do a country record in the way that he did with Nashville Skyline. And yet, there's something that's uh, maybe worth unpacking there in that, you know, maybe he wasn't feeling as inspired at this time. Perhaps this was a time when he was sort of spent from, like, doing speed and just being kind of a madman. Maybe it was a sort of regenerative healing thing to just be like, I'm going to interpret these old tunes. I'm going to just, or I'm going to just sort of sit back and wear my heart on my sleeve. Right. Yeah, I I see what you mean by that. Like, there there does have to be... uh, you have to imagine that at some point, like you, you got to start feeling pressure to continually come up with just like these, you know, un- unbelievable, never before seen or heard kind of songs uh, that he that he was pumping out through sixty four, sixty five, sixty six, and it's got to get to you, you know. Um, so the opportunity to just, like you said, like kind of sit back and relax and just pull out some traditional blues songs and some shitty songs written by some French people and reinterpret them however you want that's that's gotta feel it's gotta feel relaxing or, or comfortable or good or something in another sense it's like okay what do you do if you know you wrote some great stuff and then you know you're not feeling that right now maybe the best thing for you to do to kind of save face is to do something that's obviously below the standard you'd ever set for yourself. Right, exactly. Yeah, you can't fail to meet the expectations if you are deliberately avoiding attempting to meet the expectations in the first place. Right, which, I mean, is really humanizing, I think, to think about. What what artist or what writer has ever had, like, a pure streak that just goes for their entire life? Right, yeah, I mean, it's it's the people that uh, died at 27 or whatever, and obviously Bob uh, appears to be some sort of reptile person who will never expire, so he he's going to have plenty yeah. of ups and downs throughout his career. Yeah, we see him taking this sort of restful break through this record and through Nashville Skyline to an extent. I think that changes up a little bit when we hit New Morning after this one because that is a record that is full of originals. Um, for the first time in a while. Yeah, new, um, new new Morning is an interesting one. I'm looking forward to getting the chat about that because that seems like sort of a fusion of several different approaches, like a comeback album, but also continuing the idea of what he's done here on Self-Portrait and like deliberately kind of fucking, fucking himself over. Um, it, it, it's sort of a schizophrenic kind of approach, I think. But, you know, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to get to that. After Let It Be Me... Is that where we're at? That is where we're at. We've we've talked about our fondness, or at least my fondness, for Let It Be Me. I don't know if it's one of your favorites on the record. I like Let It Be Me. I think it has kind of like a really pretty in, uh, melody, and it's it's just a nice love song. Um, very unpretentious and straight up. Yeah, makes you feel good. Even if it is a cover. Then we just have Little Sadie... Again, I cannot believe that we have a Little Sadie sandwich on this album. In Search of Little Sadie, Let It Be Me, and then Little Sadie. If you if you didn't get enough of Little Sadie last time, you're in luck. Because yeah, here's murdered her. Here's more. <laughs> she already's been murdered. She's been killed by a gun, and now we're going to just do it again. Um, 
Not a good look, Bob. Yeah. Do better. It's just a different version of Little Sadie. Moving on. Moving on to more important stuff like Woogie Boogie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, what, a, what a brilliant turn of phase by Nobel Prize winner Bob Dylan. <laughs> Woogie Boogie. Yeah, yeah, Nobel Prize winner who did a thing where he... Um, I did a thing where he said uh, he murdered little Sadie, did another cover, and then just did murder little Sadie again, and then a woogie boogie. Yeah, here here we are to what is technically just the second original composition by Bob Dylan on the album titled Self Portrait, Uh, and woogie boogie, of course, has no lyrics, uh, no 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 words contained within it. Besides the title, Woogie Boogie. Right, which it reminds me a little bit of uh, Wiggle Wiggle or uh, from Under a Red Sky. Interesting. I guess uh, he, he's into these sort of uh, these, these baby words. Sort of, sort of babies, these sort of stupid baby sort of Goo-goo, goo-goo gaga uh, sort of stuff. Yeah, we have Goo-goo gaga by Bob Dylan and it's number nine. On a self-portrait and a, yeah, I mean, instrumental track. But what does it make you feel, Ian? You know, uh, so here we are again. We, we've reached another kind of um, uh, trough, I would say, on self-portrait by this point. Let It, Let it Be Me brings me back up, uh, and, I'm, and I'm really psyched on that. But but really, the rest of side two is, is just kind of one continuous... Uh, I don't want to say let down, but but certainly a a descent from the height that we've reached, um, uh, you know, on the first song of this side. I'm glad that we've moved off of Little Sadie, I guess, at this point. But I I can't say that Woogie Boogie is. <laughs> I, I'm uh, cracking myself up just saying Woogie Boogie. I can't say that Woogie Boogie is one of the ones that I'm coming sure. back to, um, you know, again and again here. Uh, again and again. Yeah. When I get married, you know, it's going to be Woogie Boogie. That's the first, the first song. That's your first dance song. Yeah. yeah. You know, whatever. I like, I, you know, going back to Lil Sadie only because we've, we've got two, two times Lil Sadie uh, in the last 10 minutes of music. It reminds me a little of, uh, of an Edgar Allan Poe sort of story. It's sort of a, like the black cat or one of those stories where you have the, the uh, the telltale heart a narrator who's committed a crime and he's sort of emptying his soul hmm. onto the page so uh you know okay why not do it twice if you really feel that way you know if if you liked it once you'll like it even more twice yes all right woogie boogie happens and then you have i think one of the sweetest and best songs on the record belle isle, belle isle. which is which says it on the liner notes that was written by Bob Dylan. It was not, not written by Dylan. Yeah, it's a it's a classic. It's a, a, a traditional. And and for some reason, uh, the the website of BobDylan.com says that this is an instrumental. And it doesn't include any lyrics. Yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to, uh, at the beginning of this project, I viewed BobDylan.com as an unimpeachable resource, uh, the, the, no. the Bible of Bob, so to speak. And I'm, I'm very quickly realizing that there's a little bit of some shoddy material contained therein. <laughs> Don't trust BobDylan.com. Don't use it on your thesis paper as a source. 
you know, I guess it, it fits in with Bob's uh, career, you know, because you can't trust Bob himself. He's he's a notoriously mischievous character who's constantly trying to redirect us, so it only makes sense that his website would be the same kind of resource. Yes, a puck-like being who uh, sometimes just redirects your attention because he actually just didn't really care that much when he made that record. Right. <laughs> so you're left to pick up the pieces like a absolute fool. You're peeping through the keyhole down upon your knees, as it were, <laughs> at the inner workings of Bob Dylan and his artistic oeuvre. Belle Isle is a beautiful song about a Scottish babe. Yeah, about, uh, well, presumably an isle that is pretty, as we note in the title, Belle Isle. Not only is the isle pretty, va-va-voom, there's a woman. So the return of, we see here, the return of Horny Bob. This is sort of a return of Horny Bob Dylan. He says, down by the the banks of Loch Aaron, E-I-R-O-N. Who knows how those people speak. Where beauty and pleasure were known. One evening, one evening for pleasure, I rambled to view the fair fields all alone. Down by the banks of Loch Aaron, where beauty and pleasure were known, I spied a fair maiden at her labor. She's the bloomin' bright star of Belle Isle. And what more do you need to say? She, it, Bob, as this character, um, is horned up at this hot, hot Scottish woman. And, um, you know, maybe you have Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster, sort of peeking out out of the waves, watching them smooch uh, down along the, uh, the cove, almost, um, along the loch. <laughs> the and, cove uh, of the lock. That's the kind of the the lock cove, and that's sort of the song, the type of song. This interesting, is. but the bobdylan.com just says it's an instrumental, so I guess that's uh, cause enough to fucking move along. And uh, the next song is called "Live in the Blues." One of the other few original Bob Dylan songs. Yeah, if we if we're prepared to believe that, then yeah, this one was allegedly written by Bob Dylan. So this this song starts with um, the lyrics, "Since you've been gone." Exactly. Kelly Clarkson was that her? Yeah, I think so. So Kelly Clarkson must have heard the song "Living the Blues," "Living the Blues" from Self Portrait. And um, since you've been gone, I've been walking around with my head bowed down to my shoes. Very sad imagery. And uh, I've been living the blues every night without you. Um, Is there really any point to reading the rest of the lyrics? I think that you get everything you can get from that. Those first few. Yeah. You know, Bob's uh, uh, here. Here we are back to the old TikTok of Nashville skyline, happy, horny Bob, and then sad, lonesome Bob. Uh, so, so previously on Belle Isle, we had, we had the former and now, now here we are onto the latter. Yeah. It's that classic TikTok that we spoke of on the last episode of tick happy, want to make love and talk unhappy, want to still Presumably want to make love, but can't. 
Bob Dylan's discography is is really the story of of the Virgin Bob Dylan and the Chad Bob Dylan, the, the two sides of his soul. Another side of Bob Dylan, if you will. Ah. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think we can just move along. You know what that song's about from the very beginning. Indeed. Which uh, brings us to the last song of side two of this record. This is a song I'm not terribly familiar with. It's called um, Like a Rolling Stone. (laughs) It's anyone's guess what that's sort of about and what what kind of things he's trying to say with this. And so we're not going to talk about uh, that song. I'll only just say that this is a version of this song that he, uh, he played during the Isle of Wight Festival. A bunch of... Dylan fans were really keen on having a big name for their big outdoor festival because they were thinking, how can we match Woodstock? And they did the Isle of Wight. And uh, Bob Dylan showed up way late and everyone was kind of pissed. And he did his versions of hit classics, but in his Nashville skyline voice. And it's anyone's guess what any of those people thought of this performance. Uh, they were probably kind of upset with it. But for whatever reason, a few of those cuts end up just straight up on this album because it happened. And I guess Bob thought, well, why waste my effort for going all the hell out there? Yeah, why waste my effort? Or maybe why not just uh, repurpose this this soundboard recording and just load up this this record with even more bullshit than it already contains? Uh, it really is, I think, one of the worst versions of like a Rolling Stone I've ever heard, I gotta I say. I mean, when you go see Bob Dylan, even these days, the way that he sings his songs, it's not meant to be the way you want to hear it. It's like if you went to see The Killers, and you want to hear them play Mr. Brightside, and then you go and see them, and they just sort of play it as a waltz. That's how it is to see Bob Dylan these days. And These uh, days, yeah. Apparently, even those days, he wasn't interested in playing it like how he used to do it. And, um, you know, okay. <laughs> it's it's his song. He can do with it what he likes. Yeah. You didn't write it. He wrote it. And uh, he, can, he can do it in the least satisfying, least dramatic, least uh, compelling way <laughs> possible. And you have to sit there and take it. Yeah, there is something really kind of impressive about the way that he turns potentially like the greatest rock and roll song of all time into just like this rambling, uh, ramshackle kind of like meandering mess that you want to just that you want to just skip skip right along and move on to the next cover song on this record. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that you put it on when you're having dinner with your parents and they're like, "What is this?" Even though they know the song. They probably wouldn't even recognize it as Bob Dylan. And you know what? That's part of the uh, the pride and you know the few, the proud, the people who listen to Bob Dylan, even though they kind of feel the same way about, about it as we do. Be, be thankful. Shut up. Be thankful for what you get. Yeah. And in fact, you have to listen to the versions that you don't like that much. You have to listen to them again and again until you get through your head that... Um, Maybe I'm taking a huge leap here. Maybe it's the words that matter more than anything else. And, wow. Uh, maybe maybe the fact that it was written, conceptual brain. Um, maybe that is more important than anything about how it's performed. Wow. 
Ian, would you please do some sort of uh, slam poetry snaps for me now? Hopefully the mic is picking this up. That's a very that's a very uh, deep insight there, Evan. I th- I think that I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to reconsider my my estimation of this awful performance of like a Rolling Stone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now that you've delivered such a, such a uh, such a revolutionary evaluation of it here at the end of this um, uh, really interesting, thrilling, frustrating uh, record, uh, at least the first side of it uh, that we call self portrait. Yeah, we've finished the first whole record, side A, side B, of Self-Portrait Album. And until next time, this has been Joker Men. Indeed. Indeed.